Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast, an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, the like button, whatever it is that's on your platform that you're listening on. Uh, hopefully I can be found on whatever plat- podcasting platform that um, you're using, uh, and if not, uh, let me know. Um, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll get that taken care of. You can also find video versions of this podcast on YouTube. Um, you can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the exact same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's also a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Um, tonight, we are sneaking in on the very last day of March. Um, and, you know, March houses St. Patrick's Day. So, um, and, I, and I promise I absolutely intended um, to do this before uh, everyone else out on uh, social mediaville decided, hey, we're going to do Irish whiskey this month. You know, some folks were doing some bottled and bond stuff. Um, but I wanted to do a little bit of exploration on Irish whiskey. Um, and it's, you know, no... Um, no surprise that I was actually also trying to correlate this along with um, Drew from Whiskey Lore released a book recently called Experiencing Irish Whiskey. And so this is an opportunity to kind of do both things. And so when I began the preparation for this particular episode, I put a call out to some friends and said, hey, you know, I have a very limited uh, Irish whiskey collection um, and I need a few things to kind of taste through so I can understand what I've got going on. And what I was really hoping for was maybe to be able to piece together a little bit of an Irish whiskey journey based off of Drew's book. Um, and in Drew's book, he kind of covers through um, specific regions uh, or maybe distilling regions, what he wants to call it. Um, and it's really more about the tourism aspect. And so he has Dublin and the Midlands and Northern Ireland, North Wild Atlantic Way and the South. And um, I don't know that he's necessarily trying to draw some of the same correlations that exist in Scotch for flavor profiles. It's just for the ease of visiting if you're trying to put things together. But maybe there are some crossovers. And so we'll eventually get to that. But um, as a part of this, I wanted to figure out what is Irish whiskey, um, you know, and, and, you know, generically we talk a lot about bourbon here and bourbon has a legal definition. Um, and you know, one of the interesting things is we've, as I've dug into the history of bourbon over time is that you'll find a lot of, um, folks from Ireland and Scotland really settled at least in the central or Northern Kentucky areas because there was a similar topography of what they were used to. Um, climate was a little bit different, but there were rolling hills, green, a little bit rocky, um, some, some, some similar things, right? And so we do have a direct connection, and obviously distilling came to us from them. Um, it wasn't something that naturally existed here in the United States. It was brought over by immigrants. And so, you know, Scott, Scott, uh, Scottish whiskey is kind of this big, giant category um, and so I thought, hey, you know, let's take the month of March. And let's talk about Irish whiskey. And, and, and I think Irish whiskey is charting in a similar way to bourbon uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago. I think it's going to potentially be booming really, really soon in the same way that um, single malt whiskey is. I think maybe tequila is on the edge of doing something similar to that. Um, so we, we kind of start with the, the basic premises of Irish whiskey, right? Um, so Irish whiskey... Uh, has its own act as well. So there's the Irish Whiskey Act of 1980, and there's some basic requirements that come out of that, Um, some detailed definitions, 
um, the food food industry development division of the Department of Agriculture, Irish whiskey meets a certain set of standards. Uh, the first first of those sets of standards is going to be it's be made from a mash of malted barley plus other cereal grains, which is an option that exists there. Um, to be mashed, fermented, distilled to no more than ninety four point eight percent ABV and matured in wooden casks such as oak, not exceeding seven hundred liters for a minimum of three years in the Republic of Ireland and or Northern Ireland. Um, and one of the things that's kind of interesting about that is that I, I know that at one point in time, um, there was a pretty straight mash of malted barley that was kind of the, the sole identity of what it was. But as, as they've sort of done some, some whiskey archaeology, they found that there was a number of other uh, mash bills that existed out there. And so they started to expand what that offering is. And then this bit about being in the Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland, there's a couple of places um, in the United States that are making Irish-like whiskey. Um, I think Irish-style American whiskey or um, a blend of Irish and American whiskey. And so it's gaining, and I'm, I'm looking over here because I actually have some sample bottles that some folks have sent over to me. Um, and, you know, if, if North America is looking into it, then you know that maybe it's on the, the edge of being picked up by, you know, at least Western whiskey nerds. Um, and then taking it a step beyond that, no uh, it cannot contain additives other than water and caramel coloring. And so you say, and, and I think that's the E-150A, um, you know, similar standards to scotch. Um, re retain the characteristics of its raw materials, um, smell, taste like whiskey, and then be bottled at no less than 40% ABV. Um, and, you know, so some of those standards look pretty straightforward and, you know, whatnot, but, you know, that, that particular category is expanding beyond that. Um, then looking to the next kind of step, there's some different types of Irish whiskey that are out there in the same way that there's different types of, of whiskey in North America or whiskey in Scotland. Um, and so there's blended Irish whiskey. Um, there's a single malt Irish whiskey, so that's going to be 100% malted barley. Single pot still, or what might have traditionally been called pure pot still. Um, and it'll be a blend of both malted and non-malted barley that's distilled in a pot still. Um, and it's pretty unique to Ireland, that particular thing. And I think that's one of the ones that I got caught on very, very early in kind of assuming that all Irish whiskey was single pot still whiskey. And that's not necessarily the case, at least from what I've found initially. And someone can absolutely tell me that I'm incorrect on that. One of the great things about having whiskey friends uh, all over the world is that sometimes you have the ability to taste things you can't get. And so one of my friends was uh, kind of uh, answered the call that I had kicked out there and said, hey, I'm looking for some Irish whiskey. And I had an opportunity to try a couple of different um, green spots. And this one is a, and I'm going to butcher this, it's French. And so um, it's a green spot, the Chateau Leoville Barton. Um, and I'm pretty sure Leoville is probably pronounced a different way. Uh, took French maybe 20 years ago and retain almost none of that. I think I can navigate my way to a bathroom um, and to a library. And that's about all that I can retain there. Um, but this is a phenomenal <laughs> whiskey. Maybe it's a bad place to start. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's funny. I, I tasted it. I thought, man, this is something I really, really enjoy. And then I kind of dug into what it was. And um, lo and behold, there's our friendly old uh, French 
oak wine casks being a part of the play on this. And these are um, Bordeaux wine casks. And so it's fantastic. But, you know, I kind of as we begin and talk through these things, I'm just going to sip through some generic things. And then then we'll dip into the different regions that Drew talks about in his book. And, and there'll be some links to that in the show notes. Um, absolutely encourage anyone to go out there and buy it off Amazon. You can get a digital version or you can get um, a physical version, buy physical books. I think it's a great thing for all of us to be doing. Um, but it's an opportunity to kind of put together a, a travel list. You know, this is a thing that uh, during the pandemic, maybe a lot of us were doing. We were traveling via Google um, or via different experiences because we couldn't go anywhere. Um, but trying to trying to just jump on a plane and go on an Irish whiskey trip it's pretty difficult, um, but he charts a pretty good course for you. Um, and if you can't go, you can pick up some bottles and you can taste your way through it while you're reading what he has in store for you. And so um, I know I've meandered way off of course here, but the last one we were talking about was single pot still whiskey, um, which was called pure pot still. Then there's grain Irish whiskey, um, which is going to be a lighter style. It's going to be made maybe from corn or wheat. Um, column stills are used here instead of pot. Um, and so you're going to get something very much similar to what we may be used to here. And there's single grain Irish whiskey. Um, and it's going to have same characteristics of grain whiskey, except for there's only going to be a single grain there. Um, and then there is uh, poteen, poatin. Uh, not exactly sure how that's pronounced, but it's spelled P-O-T-C-H-E-E-N in English. Um, that's effectively going to be um, Irish moonshine. moonshine. So maybe it's something that we're all, um, you know, kind of familiar with here in the state of Kentucky. Um, it's a, it's a new make spirit, and it's going to have little to no time in in a barrel. Um, and so the history of Irish whiskey is not too different than the history of um, bourbon in the United States. So um, it, it's been around for much much longer. Obviously, um, it, it goes all the way back uh, to monks bringing distillation methods into England and Southern Europe, or from Southern Europe into the England area. And most of those distillation techniques were used for non-alcoholic uh, concepts. They obviously turned to um, drinkable spirits at, at some point in time. And, and early Irish whiskeys are going to vary greatly from what we're known today, and they may have been flavored with a number of different things. I mean, um, whiskey is a product of agriculture, and so whatever the agriculture happens to be is probably going to dictate what the flavor of the whiskey is going to be for that particular region. And so maybe there's herbs involved, mint, thyme, anise, things like that. Um, and, you know, the records aren't necessarily kept super, super well. You know, the, some of the best records that we have um, in the world come from religious, religious entities maintaining those uh, documents, and there's not a ton of documentation that exists around this. Um, but we do know that there's some um, writings around Irish whiskey uh, sometime in the early 1400s, right? And so if we're thinking about when they're starting to talk about Irish whiskey, uh, there's not even a consideration of a country here in the United States. You know, that's that's kind of how far it goes back. Um, but there's um, there's discussions of aqua vitae, um, and so that's maybe the, the first round of, of distillation that exists there. Um, 
Irish whiskey industry is obviously going to be very um, boutique in the 1400s and the 1500s, 1600s. Um, but in the 17th century, we start seeing um, licenses being uh, given out and, and assigned to distillers. And in the 18th century, um, production starts to take off and the demand for whiskey in Ireland is going to grow significantly, um, population growth. Um, and it, and it's, it's going to start displacing the demand for imported spirits, you know, and that's always a good sign whenever your population base is strong enough and large enough to start demanding for your own um, distillate as opposed to importing things, you know, and, you know, it's a, it's a holding capacity or whatever. And so, um, you know, maybe, maybe we can even have the discussion that, you know, um, commercialized alcohol is a sign of a thriving and growing, um, commerce and industry within a, within a particular country. And so we see that Ireland's growing. So is the whiskey industry is growing. Um, but it's not going to be without its challenges. It's very, very similar to us. Um, illicit whiskey is still going to be made. Um, <laughs> think about you know what's happening and still happens where there's a ton of people out in the middle of nowhere that are continuing to make um, white dog, moonshine, you know, new make, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they're going to be non-licensed distillers and revenueers are going to come after them. Um, and, and they're going to try to apply their trade. I mean, it's a really... Gr- quick way to convert um, agricultural products into cash um, and be able to kind of um, increase your profit margins if you're a person who's strapped for, for money for a number of different reasons. Um, so they, they they try to get these things under control as any particular country does. Maybe there's some moderate success that's there. Um, and then you start to see names such as Jameson and Bushmill start to pop up. Um, and so if you think back we're talking about the, the 18th and 19th uh, century. Um, these names are becoming synonymous inside the Irish whiskey industry. Um, and, and at one point in time, it is considered that Irish whiskey could become one of the biggest selling whiskeys in the world um, throughout the 19th century. And then there's this there's this downfall trend that happens in a lot of industries. Um you know, uh, the scotch kind of launches into the number one spirit in the 20th century, and Irish whiskey is going to kind of fall by the wayside at the same point in time. Uh, a lot of different things um, are going to lead to the closure of a lot of Ireland's distilleries. Um, you know, there's there's something somewhere near 30 distilleries that exist in Ireland ireland in the late 1800s but by the 60s there were only a handful that still remain right and so in less than 100 years we go from you know 25 26 27 whatever distilleries um to just a very very few um there's only you know a small quantity of cases that are being made um you know and the the, the decrease is just exponential it's a huge drop off and some some of the issues that led to this particular decline um, there's there's an Irish War of Independence. Um, there's a civil war that follows behind that. There's a trade war with Britain. Um, American prohibition happening is going to hurt potential for exports into the United States marketplace. So you got to think if we, you know, distribution channels are going to be pretty limited in a budding country. Um, and if you already have mass production built up, you may have an opportunity to be able to sell quite a few things. And so a lot of places 
close and they sort of never come back, right? Um, and there, there's a discussion on independent bottling that we'll kind of get into here in a little bit, but um, we see Irish whiskey has had a resurgence in the very recent history. Um, there's a number of independent distilleries that are kind of pulling up out of um, pulling themselves up from nothingness um, and trying to create something new within Ireland. And that's, you know, you see that with, with Drew's book, with a handful of other distillers that are coming on in the marketplace. Um, it's, it's kind of a growing and budding industry, and it's a great place for someone who wants to kind of cut their chops on what's happening in whiskey and be new to a market. Irish whiskey is a great place to be. And within the history of Irish whiskey, there's a really robust discussion about the history of Ireland, the correlation between the two things, how whiskey weaves in and out of this hit of its history and a central theme for trying to discover its own identity. Um, Drew does a really, really good job in his book. I encourage, like I said, encourage you to pick it up, um, read through it, uh, and you'll you'll learn a lot. Right. And so then let's 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 back up a little bit. You know, we've been talking about distilleries, but uh, independent bottling, um, which you know is maybe a different terminology for what we experience a lot of here in the United States, but independent bottling is a term that you use to describe whiskey that has been bottled independently from the distillery where it was initially distilled, right? So think about contract distilling. Think about um, brands that are owned by um, people that go and purchase whiskey from another distiller, um, sourced, third party, whatever you want to call it. This is exactly what that was. And so this has been a market a go-to-market concept for a very, very, very long time. Um, you know, one place is generating a ton of whiskey, and they get some barrels that are off the profile that they want to normally sell, and they have an opportunity to offload that to somebody else who is perfectly fine developing their brand under that flavor profile. Um, but the difference, I think maybe the, the, the difference is that provenance is maybe not necessarily as much in question um, in in Irish whiskey maybe than it is within bourbon, so to speak. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of Irish whiskey distillers that are still doing the exact same thing, you know. And, and it's it's a, a, a process that has been around since um, the mid to late 1700s. Um, you know, they they're they're they were able to produce more than they could sell by an individual distillery. And so they sort of hand these things off, um, you know, in, in, in the export markets hit and just a number of things that make this available. Right. And so this is a really, really interesting marketing concept that we sort of take on ourselves. You know, we were like, Hey, this is a thing that we think here in the United States that we should be doing. Um, but we kind of put our own spin on it a little bit later on. So like I said earlier, um, Andrew's book, he puts together regions, and this is really a book that is focusing on travel and the ability to go and visit some of these distilleries. And, and some of them are going to be very much a an on almost an on-farm distillery type tour where there's not really a tourism that's built up around it just yet. Um, the idea of whiskey tourism is something that's becoming a little bit more prevalent, but it's a pretty unique to the North American marketplace concept. Um, you know, some, some Scotch distilleries have similar behaviors. 
But, um, you know, everybody's sort of catching up to this idea that people are willing to pay their hard-earned money to travel and go see what is an industrial process. Um, but he, he splits it into to the regions of Dublin, Midlands, Northern Ireland, North Wild Atlantic Way, and the South. And so I thought what would be really fun and unique is to kind of walk through those regions on um, an Irish whiskey uh, tasting journey. Uh, so to speak. And so I have a handful of whiskeys to taste here. And like I said, I've already been sipping on some some green spot. But it may be worthwhile to talk about some of the distilleries as we walk our way through the tasting. So starting off in the Dublin region, we'll begin with Teeling. Uh, I've got a, a sampling of Teeling small batch whiskey rum cask finished. Um, in, in the Teeling's um, sort of helped lead the way, and I'm, I'm stealing some of Drew's words. I mean, anybody should. Drew is a super eloquent man. Um, his his words are worth stealing, so I try to give him as much credit as possible. But they helped kind of reforge the path for Irish whiskey distilleries um, when they started their operation in the early 2010s. Um, it had been over a hundred years since anyone had built a distillery in the particular in the liberties um and they tried to do what they could to kind of capture the past and and if, if you've been around whiskey at all you you've, you've likely heard the name teeling um and they've done kind of the yeoman's work to build this marketplace back up to be a part of it and um you know he, you have an opportunity to kind of taste people that may have brought back something that was on life support and I'll say, this is not my first time drinking Teeling. Uh, by chance, uh, a few years ago, we were at um, in Orlando. We went to a place called Raglan Road. If you know anything about Disney, you know what that is. Um, and I was trying to order a different flight, and the lady um, accidentally brought me uh, an Irish whiskey flight. And I'm, I'm usually the person that is not going to send anything back. I'm willing to give anything a shot. Um, but she didn't tell me she had brought me the wrong thing, and so... Um, I began tasting what I thought was something else, and it really just kind of caught me way off guard. Um, but you know, it, it's it, it was a fun experience. I always like tasting new things, but uh, I think my immature palate wasn't quite ready for what was going to happen with a with a four poor tasting of teeling. But um, Irish whiskey super approachable. You know, it's not going to punch you in the mouth like some super peated things. And we're going to finish with a peated Irish whiskey which is somewhat of an anomaly. Um, historically, maybe it was an anomaly as well. Um, but it's an interesting thought experiment at least. So um, there's, there's a lot to, to kind of unpack around the tealings and, and what they've done. Um, but, you know, you, you got you to gotta guess anything that's rum cask finish is probably going to be pretty damn good. And that's definitely the case here. Um, maybe you can, maybe you can <laughs> hear the swishing. Maybe you can't. Um, there's a handful of distilleries that are in the similar area, right? Um, so you have an opportunity. We start with Dublin, Teelings. Teelings is a um, it's Teelings small batch whiskey, rum cask finished. Um, nothing super surprising. Good, drinkable, um, but it's not something that you would you know push an old lady down a flight of stairs to be able to gain access to. So the next region we're going to go to, we're actually going to go to what Drew calls the Midlands. Um, and the Midlands give us an opportunity to to look at things like Slane, 
or Tullamore Dew. Um, and so I actually have happen to have both of those um, on hand. So we'll probably do slain because, you know, why not? You know, I haven't had a ton of slain. Don't know anything really about it. So let's, 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 let's hop into this particular one. Now, Slane's Triple Cask is going to be a blend of malt whiskey, grain whiskey, and pot still whiskey. And so this is going to be a blended Irish whiskey. It's not going to be a, a pricey whiskey, so we're not expecting anything. I, I'm not expecting anything super complex, but then again, maybe I should be expecting, maybe I should not have expectations because I don't know anything about Irish whiskey specifically. But we're going to let Drew um, take us on a journey uh, with his book, and we're going to let... Um, David from uh, Whiskey My Wedding Ring, as well as uh, a friend, Don Nishida, um, take me on the journey with the tasting because between the two of them, they provided a ton of opportunity for me to taste some really, really good Irish whiskeys. So going with Slane will give us an opportunity to taste what um, many people consider to be a really, really good blended Irish whiskey. Um, you know, The low cost doesn't hurt my feelings any. I think the big question for me is what's the triple casks, right? So we'll have to hop over to the Google machine. We'll dig around and we'll see what's out there because it's got some unique flavors to it. Maybe something that's a little tropically citrusy, fruity, not really sure. Um, and there's some honey and dark spice that kind of exists in there. So we'll go dig up what the, the triple cask is. So real quick, and this explains a whole lot, right? And so we're starting with some virgin oak. There's also going to be some seasoned Tennessee oak um, and maybe some ex-Jack Daniels is what we're talking about there. And then there's also going to be sherry oloroso casks. Um, and so that's why you could probably have a really confusing palette here because you're going to have um, some of the lighter notes that are going to come from... Um, virgin oak, you're going to have some caramelly and maybe richer, um, what might be considered gold notes, if you were to try to put flavors into a color profile from X-Jack Daniels. And then Sherry Oloroso is going to give you those red or rich notes, at least in, in my mindset, right? And so it's really, really unique. Um, it is good. It's really, really good for the price point that it's at. Um, there's opportunity if you're traveling in Ireland to, to, to taste this, but this is one that if you're just building a tasting to kind of walk yourself through Irish whiskey, it's a good blended Irish whiskey, it's a good casked Irish whiskey, and it's relatively inexpensive. Now I have one more Midland Irish whiskey that I want to taste, but we're going to have to save it to the last because it's Connemara. Connemara is a peated Irish whiskey, sits at, you know, 40% ABV, it's triple distilled, non-age stated, but we're going to keep the peat until the last because I don't want to lose any nuance that comes from the rest of these. And so the next bit that we're going to go after is we've done Dublin, we've done Midlands, um, we're going to go to the south. And so in the south, you have an opportunity to taste um, things like Blue Spot, or any spot, any of the spots, any of the red breasts, a host of things. And um, in preparation for this, I sat down the other night and I tasted um, some uh, red breast 27, which is just fantastic. Anything that's old, um, at least in my mindset, is always really good because I enjoy the flavors that a barrel can impart um, over time, uh, even within bourbon, I want advanced age. I don't necessarily want to be, feel like I'm chewing on an oak stave. I want, um, I want it to be nuanced in its approach, but, um, 
but I generically prefer older stated whiskeys. And so, you know, I, I drank that one on its own. And so maybe we'll do either a red spot or a blue spot. Um, the red, the, the spots largely came to me from, from Don, a super guy, like I said. Um, so we have an opportunity to taste those. So all of the spots come out of the Middleton distillery, um, you know, and, and Middleton distillery has put out brands since the seventies uh, or, or before. Um, and the different spots that exist are pretty widely sought after, at least from a lot of, um, whiskey nerds. And I'll probably lean towards, let's do, uh, we're going to do the red spot since that's the 15 year and we'll see what that's about. The red spot is going to be 15 years, triple distilled, um, combination of bourbon, uh, Spanish sherry butts and Sicilian Marsala casks. And so I would expect similar things except for maybe doubling down on some of the darker flavor notes because, um, I feel like Marsala and sherry are going to add a whole lot of rich red, maybe jamminess to it. And I'm looking at a, a sheet that someone provided that Don provided whenever he sent these over to me. So we'll, we'll give this a shot. So like I said, red spot, it's a 15 year whiskey, uh, multiple casks are involved in this and basically exactly what I thought. <laughs> this is, this is a head scratcher of something to smell, um, based off of, you know, Irish whiskey generically being a lighter whiskey, but, um, the casks that go into this are pretty heavy. And so it imparts a whole lot of, uh, a different flavor profiles, but they're not in, in competition with each other. I think it goes without saying that if 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 you're wanting to kind of do a vertical in a particular um, Irish whiskey uh, brand, the spots are the ones to go to here. Um, you know, the Middleton Distillery uh, gives you that opportunity with not just the spots. You know, they they do Red Breast. Um, Jameson has a ton of stuff that you can potentially try to run a vertical on, but you have you know Red Spot, Green Spot, Blue Spot, Yellow Spot, Gold Spot. Um, there, there's a lot of opportunity for age stated and non age stated and, and, and finishes and whatnot. And so it's a sort of a great exploration in a particular offering from top to bottom. And um, this Red Spot 15 year does not miss on that particular conversation. Um, and so, you know, I guess maybe we started with once we got into the region, directionally region specific, uh, we went south first. Um, and so then there's um, anything that comes out of the north. And so for this particular tasting, we're going to look at the north wild Atlantic, uh, which is another region that, that Drew has separated out here. And I'm going to have to Google the name to this particular distillery because there is no way that I'm going to be able to pronounce this on my own. I was absolutely right. I could not, I would not be able to pronounce this appropriately without looking it up. It is Sleeve League, but it is spelled, welcome to Kentucky, S-L-I-A-B-H-L-I-A-G. Um, and so this is going to be a North Wild Atlantic um, whiskey. Um, comes from, or sorry, region whiskey. It comes from Ardara, and that may be mispronounced. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but there's going to be a little smoke on this one, and so we're going to finish the last two here. It's going to be this one, then we're going to go back to um, the Connemara, 
right? That's that's the last one we're going to finish with because that is the one that is explicitly peated as well. And so we want to kind of understand maybe the difference in, in, in kind of a new understanding, not a new understanding, but a different understanding in Irish whiskey. All right, so we've got the Sleeve League, um, the Midnight Silky, which is an Irish single malt. Um, some of the notes that kind of come from this, uh, and I'm going to read through this, right? And so we're looking for... I think 55 parts per million uh, of peat that's going to be here. It's triple distilled, um, and it's and it's broken into a number of of different agings here. And so I'm going to try to keep up with it. I'm reading somebody else's notes here, so full disclosure: this is not mine. Um, sherry and virgin oak, bourbon. Oloroso, red wine, then maybe imperial stout casks and virgin oak. It, it sounds like there's a ton going on here, and we'll see if that can all kind of shine through. And I guess maybe with the peat, you can do a number of different things and try to kind of fit in there. There's absolutely smoke on this, but it doesn't smell super peaty like you would expect out of um, an, an overly peated Irish whiskey or Scottish whiskey. Um, uh, but maybe that's what they're going for. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll kind of see what this has for flavor. Definitely got some, some pepper in the mouth, uh, for sure, but it's almost tobacco peppery. And I know that sounds weird, but if you've ever smoked a cigar or a pipe, um, there, there's this sort of peppery sensation that you can get off of. Um, natural tobacco. It's not so much if you know for people who smoke a cigarette because that's so processed and so filtered. It's a little bit different, but um, it's for sure there. It's a good warm flavor. There's a there's a lot going there, and this would be a really great place for a person who doesn't necessarily like smoke or peat to kind of introduce. It doesn't feel like it's oppressive in its particular flavor profile. So Connemara is the last whiskey that we're going to taste through the process of this. Um, this is the one that's still going to be a Midlands whiskey, um, but I kept it towards the last because I wanted to put my two peated together. This looks like ex-bourbon casks. Um, we'll see. Is this going to be you know overly peated? Um, is it going to be meaty? Is it going to be sweet and smoky? It's so sweet and smoky for me. <clears throat> It's not a um, an acrid type uh, smoke here. Sweet, spicy, smoky um, is where that goes. And this one may actually be a lighter smoke. And I can't tell if it's a lighter smoke or it's because I already had smoke and the one right before this. But it feels a little bit more friendly than the Sleeve League did. Um, now it also could be that Sleeve League had a whole lot more going on with it as far as flavors that were kind of happening within that particular bottle. Um, but I'm going to have to go back and forth probably between these two for a while to kind of understand. And so, um, you know, I think the intent of, of this particular episode was to talk through um, Irish whiskey to kind of consider it as a budding marketplace for whiskey fans to walk through a few brands that may be widely available or at least to some degree for us to kind of go through. Um, and then explore some opportunities for more education, you know, thinking about um, the different websites that I use to kind of put this together. I'll put them um, in the show notes and then really kind of hitting on Drew's book and what he's put together, um, you know, for, for understanding Irish whiskey. 
And honestly, I think realistically for anything that you want to do in whiskey, at least in North America, um, probably need to be paying attention to what Drew's doing because he's going to have you a good idea of what's happening within the whiskey marketplace um, or at least what's going to be happening here in the States as far as whiskey consumption, um, whether it be bourbon, scotch, or now Irish whiskey, Japanese whiskey, whatever's happening between between him and a handful of other folks. I'm kind of This is where I get a lot of my... Um, thoughts about where things might be going you know I don't necessarily align always to what they're saying but there's some smart guys out there and probably should be paying attention to what they've got going on so um, thanks for tuning in for this offering from the embellished podcast Um, if you enjoyed this please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod or give me a follow and you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Um, Thanks again for stopping by.